Brighton into the box, looking for Kerr, free head of the back post, and Eriksson on her final game in a Chelsea shirt on this ground gets the second goal of the day. Really poor defending by Arsenal to allow Kerr the free header and the applause from coach Emma Hayes to a player she greatly admires. She has been her captain through four title wins, four FA Cup wins and the rest. Perfect way to sign off. Look, well, look what it means to the Chelsea players. Welcome to another episode of Fran Kirby's Fight Club. I am Andre Carlisle here with the great Mia Eriksson. And you know what? We were so close. We had it. We had the trophy. Had fingertips on it. And then and then, and then then City can't defend. But we're going to get into all of that because Chelsea did beat Arsenal 2-0 to get them in that position. Before we talk about all of that, Mia, how are you? I'm good. Even though you got the prediction right, <laughs> I'm good. I can give you that. That's fine. I um I I I was I was gonna wait a little while before I brought it up. Didn't want to be too you know too cocky about it. It's my first right prediction I think since we started this podcast. So you know um <laughs> it's taken you, a while. You're a little bit like uh, Magda, <laughs> like you're saving the best for last. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. That that's a great way to put it and a great segue. So thank you. Um, <laughs> Chelsea <laughs> beat Arsenal two nil. They played probably the best first half that we've seen with Chelsea probably all season. Of course, Arsenal with the injuries, they'll always have kind of that uh, excuse. The second half was a little bit more nervy, uh, but Guro right then got the scoring started in the 22nd minute. It was a great pass from Perse on the right across the box and then a great sliding finish from right I thought it was gr- great to see those two link up, and I love Wrighton's finish. Just the way that she plays the sport just absolutely makes me happy it makes me smile she's such a joyful player and then speaking of joy joy tears emotions all of it 41st minute who scores of course it had to be Magda Erickson I just I I feel like it's just like sometimes if you were to like present the script to like the creators of of like kids movies like Disney or Pixar and be like this is what we want to happen they'd be like no stop it that's too silly but we just watched it that was such an incredible moment. Yeah, I mean, it was a surprise, not yet a surprise, if you know what I mean by that. Uh, I told you before the recording that I I was at um, a hunting track course with my dog this weekend, and like five minutes before kickoff, we ended the last and second day of it. So I was out in the woods, like sunny weather, you know, everything was brilliant. Uh, we were, I don't know if you even call it this uh, in English, but we were at uh, a small like cabin where all the the hunters gathers before they go out to, to hunt deers or elks or, you know, whatever. But so I, I just told the owner of the cabin that, okay, can I just sit here and watch this? This game on my phone after we had ended everything. And I had like one bar uh, on my phone with connection, (laughs) but it worked. Uh, It was a great experience. And obviously I was very 
happy for to see that uh, that Magda scored. I feel like being out in the woods, you know, at a cabin watching Magdalena score her goal was probably like in her last game at Kings Meadow was probably like a spiritual experience. <laughs> like yeah. I had an ex- a crazy experience like in the living room, but like you had the setting, the prime setting to just be like, I think I saw the face of God. Yeah, actually, it's quite uh, surreal to be on your own. Like we were like 12 kilometers out, very far out uh, in the woods because we had we had trained the dogs in, in shooting with a gun and, and blood and tracking and everything. So I was really far out. Let's leave it with that. And then you can imagine, you know, the, the scene with just me and a wood bench um, by a fireplace with no fire, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had locked my dog out uh, in, in to the, the car. Like, so she, she was supposed to be there while I watched the two, the two halves. Yeah, that that's just incredible. It was just a great moment. I mean, I know that like after the game, you know, her and Pernilla went around there, presented with shirts and everything, and they kind of just walked around, you know, received the applause. There were a lot of videos. They got to get on the microphone and say their goodbyes. Um, but I just thought it was really like the after. I was prepared for after the match. You know, that was going to happen no matter what. You know, Chelsea could have lost ten nothing, and that still would have happened. Which obviously that would have sucked, but but it could have. It was always going to happen, but. But what felt outrageous was just the fact that Chelsea were playing so well and the person who got a goal from that good, all that good play was Magda. And I thought it was just like so fitting. It was so perfect. And I was really happy for her. And you could see, I just, I loved her celebration because she almost, I think, I think she probably feels about it like you felt like this was probably just going to happen it's just like all the stars aligned and she she had a very like she was smiling very uh, very wide of course as you would but I also wasn't like shocked like pure shock it was just like this is fitting this feels right is almost what was on her face the only thing I'm disappointed about is the fact that it was a quite boring goal from her you know just a <laughs> yeah given yeah, some of the she, ones she scored yeah because true. she but, but the fact is that you know the last goal she has scored uh, apart from her I mean she's great uh, in her with her aerial abilities but I mean the the goal against Liverpool the overhead bicycle kick but then also you know like her her flick with with her heel when she played with Sweden I think that's not uh, too long ago as well so this was sort of a not boring goal but you know what I mean she was just at the right in the right place at the right time this this time around and that was uh, what felt the perfect player to be in that position uh, for this game so yeah I actually thought it was funny because you know if you follow enough journalists you may just end up following somebody who's at a particular game and while you're watching it they are seeing the action 30 seconds ahead sometimes a minute ahead and so I was following Jesse Parker Humphreys who, who was at the game and I just saw them tweet all caps, my heart. And I knew exactly what that meant. <laughs> I yeah, like, yeah. I know exactly what just happened. So let me just sit here and wait for it. I think it was they that tweeted also that, you know, the first season that Magda was uh, be- became the captain, Chelsea started to play at Kings Meadow. So that was also like, okay, the circle is 
full when she scored. Yeah, so that was everything. Everything was great. It was a perfect first half. I think. I think the only thing that could have been better in terms of the first half was just Chelsea scoring more. Um, I think there were plenty of opportunities. I know that um, I think Pernilla chose to pass wide uh, to the wrong player. I think she had Sam Kerr to her right on one break. Uh, Sam was definitely onside on that one. That was another thing. Sam versus the offside flag was was unfortunate. But um, I thought if she would have chosen to slide the ball to Kerr, that's an easy goal. Um, to, and I think there were a couple other opportunities that Chelsea came close um, and then the second half came and, you know, um, Arsenal made some adjustments, changed some personnel. Things got a little bit tighter for Chelsea, kind of trying to hang on, not concede that that goal that's going to make the game truly uh, and put the game truly in balance. You know, you give a, it becomes 2-1 too early and then all of a sudden you're really hanging on the momentum of the match shifts. And Arsenal had a great chance to get their goal, which... You know, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say shout out to Sophie Engel because I think I really appreciate the fact that she laid on the ground. I'm sure it hurt. I'm just going to say that up front. I'm sure it hurt, but it very much hit her arm. And she was like down on the ground, like, you can't give this a penalty because look how much pain I'm in. <laughs> I was like, I appreciate you trying, trying that angle because it was pretty much a clear pin to me. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I mean, obviously it was a very not natural angle um by the way she she held up her arms but credit to her because she really tried uh, that that's sort of one of the advantages when you got no var but this was yeah this was a clear pen uh also a bit amazed by the fact that what happened afterwards obviously that katie mccabe uh, missed to score that I think it was a severe miss um, maybe she was like taken aback of the moment because they were they had the opportunity to get back into the game obviously that that's one thing but then I mean she has been rumored to Chelsea as well for a little bit so I'm not sure about that <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was that was my my angle on it was welcome to Chelsea, Kate McCabe. <laughs> That's what I wanted to say because there was kind of I just assumed that was going to go in. Um, I think McCabe was the right person to take the penalty. She has the right mindset. She's very mentally tough, very focused. It was right on the hour mark, so you know they would have had plenty of time to try to equalize after that if if that goes in. Like it was a genuine worry uh, when that penalty came. Uh, and, and Katie McCabe stepped up and then I mean she did everything right sent Berger the wrong way picked the right side of the goal and then just rolled it wide of the post and I was like all right well that that to me was when I knew okay well Chelsea's just gonna win this game like if, if Arsenal can't score from that we're not gonna get two goals in a half hour from them like this is this is gonna end you know at least two nil and thankfully for me in my prediction it ended two nil yeah, it did. And uh, I mean, obviously, I, I think it was Dina Blackstenius that had that really nice uh, yeah, opportunity yeah. to score in the first half before any goals had been scored, I think. Um, but then um, Ann-Kathrin Berger made that perfectly well-timed run to just deny Blackstenius from, from scoring that one because I think it was a quite, it was a quite good game. Uh, from the get-go to, I mean, to just watch, if you know what, what I mean by that. 
obviously you get fooled maybe i'm gonna use that wording and because of the fact that it's chelsea and arsenal arsenal that plays each other because i do think when i think back to what i saw i think that the first half was pretty much all chelsea um and it showed uh, on the scoreboard as well. Yeah, yeah, that that is important to remember because I think Berger had an interesting game, especially early. She seemed like she was up for it in many occasions, like that block on Blackstenius. I think it was completely up to, I mean, Blackstenius basically got behind the line. It was 1v1, and she had to come out early in order to get have the best chance to, to, to save that. If she gives her even a second to line that shot up. There's a good, there's a much better chance that that ball is in the back of the net. And it was only like some weird flappy moments from, from Berger that was just kind of like, please, please don't have your chaotic game right now. Like we don't need to gift Arsenal any goals. We don't need to have any problems. We don't need to do anything silly. That's going to make this dominance not show. Uh, so thankfully, you know, it was almost like the the good and bad of burger. We got the bad and then we got that out of the way and then we got the good and we we held on to the good. So I was like, thank you. Yeah, and I think this game also sort of touch a topic that uh, most Chelsea fans also will probably talk a lot about uh, ahead of the next season. Uh, and that is about the goalkeeping situation because I think this game, goalkeeping-wise, had two phases. Like, you can really see why Anne-Catherine Berger is in goal between the posts when Chelsea played these games. Uh, but then then you, you can see her, I mean, weaknesses um, also. So I, I think in terms of that, uh, that will be a very interesting position to, to keep an eye on uh, ahead of the next season, especially with the goalkeepers that Chelsea will have uh, when the preseason starts. Possibly. I'm not <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I was going to say, the, the good news, I suppose, is like I, I still think shot-stopping ability, when Berger's on, nobody's just about nobody's better. I think maybe Endler for uh, Lyon is, is up there, but like in terms of pure shot-stopping, nobody's better. But in terms of consistency, sometimes it depends. Um, so Chelsea will certainly have plenty of goalkeepers. So <laughs> perhaps one will rise and become the main. I'm not a big fan of swapping out goalkeepers. There's a team here that I cover in the NWSL, um, Orlando, they're in their eighth game of the season. And I think they've played four different goalkeepers. And I'm like, stop doing that. That's a bad idea. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not anticipating that from Emma Hayes, but it is like the goalkeeping room is going to be a little crowded. Welcome to the, I mean, to the room where Swedish national team fans are gathering at the moment, <laughs> because this is what yeah. we are like anticipating ahead of the World Cup. Speaking about uh, one of the Chelsea keepers, Sechira Musovic. But let's see what what happens there. Also, I, I do know that Sechira Musovic is, is one of the WSL's goalkeeper with the best shot-stopping stats. Um, but I mean, I, I think it's hard when speaking about goalkeepers because if you are a second goalkeeper, you, you don't you don't get the chance in the big game games where where everything is going to be decided if you know what i mean so it, therefore it's going to be very interesting ahead of uh, um saturday when when chelsea will play play reading 
Yeah, I think I think that's right. Goalkeeping, like assessing goalkeeping is always difficult. You know, it, it's probably the last position that that like analytics haven't completely got to to kind of like give people some direction on how to how to do a proper assessment because we're all kind of using our eye test like oh that was a great save you know yeah. but yeah. what are they doing before to like analyze what's the positioning like before the shot even comes in so i think like post shot xg is a good one uh, to look at i know you know i cover a team locally here in the nwsl i cover a keeper called aubrey kingsbury who uh, plays for the washington spirit and her post shot xg like she saves a ton of goals and she's very very good 1v1 and so we're starting to like get better at that kind of stuff. But I think also, like you mentioned, sample size is also tough because and level of competition. If you're a second keeper, you don't really get called on too often. And when you do, it's usually against teams where you're expected to dominate possession. So yeah. then what do you do? If you get scored on, it looks like you're bad. And if you save it, then it looks like you're good. But can you really be trusted against like Arsenal? So, you know. It, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and also the fact is that with this, uh, I don't know if we're going to call it modern way of using the goalkeeper as, uh, yeah. as you know, one of the defenders in the build-up. Uh, I think that's also interesting. It all, it all comes down to the fact how a team wants to play. And this is also interesting because I know we have been speaking about this. <laughs> I've seen... Actually, it's quite interesting now because I think we we can talk about this uh, now. Um, I've seen a ton of you know opinions, and I even listened to one Swedish podcast about the fact that you know Swedish fans have seen a Magdalena Eriksson that struggles this season. But what is funny to me is that if you have watched Chelsea play, we spoke about this in the last episode is that you need to know what Magda's role in Chelsea has been throughout these six years she has been at the club to even be able to have an opinion uh, on her this season. Like, like that's my take on it. You, you can't say that she has been bad because she came back into the squad and to the starting eleven again in a role where she hasn't been like thought of when Emma like planned the season it's quite clear then she is one of the center center backs so so people just expect her to go in and be like Millie Bright or or Kadisha Buchanan um, so I think it's interesting this and I think people need to really really start thinking about that when having opinions on players uh, especially if they follow a team like very closely it's easy to just judge them by the position they play, but but that's not it. Um, when when you look at it from from the perspective of okay, but how has Magda been been contributing to Chelsea over the years? What has been her best abilities, and ha- have her best abilities been used this season? No, I don't think so. But she is good enough and more than good enough. To come in and handle the situation because she's a Chelsea player, this level, and she's the captain. She's well experienced, so she can handle it. Um, obviously, I'm Swedish and biased, and I know all that, but I'm allowed to. Yes. Uh, even though I have this perspective on it as well. This is actually another thing that I think is is very interesting to to talk about, and I kind of wanted to hit on this as well. 
because I actually think we got a bit of a backline surprise, um, if in my opinion. I, in my preview, I just kind of assumed that Magda and, and Khadijah Buchanan were going to be the, the center back pairing. Um, Buchanan played, I think she got her 90 minutes midweek. Um, it was the first 90 minutes since coming back from injury. And, you know, we have seen Magda and, and Buchanan play as a center back pairing before. They've played in a, in a back three plenty of times, but I'm just talking about in terms of in, in central to a back four. And it had happened, I think, three times in the past. And it was against Aston Villa, Leicester City, and West Ham. And they won all of those games, but also you would kind of expect Chelsea to win all those games. Maybe the Aston Villa game is a little bit um, more difficult. You know, Rachel Daly currently is in the leading the Golden Boot race. So um, that's a lot. But then they lost away in Manchester City 2-0. And so I was kind of wondering, like, my thing to watch in this game was going to be that back line. Um, if it was going to be Magda and, and Buchanan, because I don't know if, if they've had the best um, partnership uh, for a big game, but it was Magda and Mielda. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I guess Emma Hayes had the same concern, or maybe it's just, you know, we got Buchanan 90 minutes, let's not push her again and have her do another 90 minutes. I don't know whichever one it was, but I think it worked out well. Yeah, and obviously also I do I do know that uh, the Swedish... Um pundits and experts and whatever you want to call them they they spoke a lot about this week after the FA Cup final um, especially that the fact is that what what we see in Sweden is that after the international break um, the last time when Sweden played Norway and Denmark you could see that Magda got back to Chelsea and she has really been uh, better in her positioning like it's it's not just about her ball playing abilities because and and this is where where I'm at with with the role that you have to to center backs in Buchanan and and especially Millie Bright who is very good at the defending part as a center back but Chelsea haven't been using the center backs for for that roles um the other previous seasons when Magda has started so people need to realize that that if you're going to have uh, a Magdalena Eriksson in, in the back line, she is a, a, one of the best um, centre-backs in the world with the ball at her feet. Uh, not saying she's a bad defender, but I'm pretty sure that Emma Hayes, that's why she recruited Magda to Chelsea from the beginning. And when we got closer and closer closer to the, the end of this this uh, history with Chelsea for Magda, Emma has knew that as well. So she has been like trying to get a new partnership in with Buchanan and, and Bright. And when both of them out, um, I mean, partnerships and relationships and abilities in every unit of the pitch, like the back line, the midfield and uh, the attack, uh, they all need to be assessed uh, assessed uh, to their best abilities so you can get the best out of them uh, to create connections and relationships on the pitch as well. Yeah, yeah. And it also, you know, not that I ever wanted Bright or Buchanan to be out, not that I wanted them ever to be injured and not that I wanted them ever to be injured at the same time, because that really sucked. It was the wrong, especially the wrong, the timing of it was just really bad having to play Barcelona away. But 
or play Barcelona over two legs. But I think in a way, it it kind of allowed Magda to have the ending to her Chelsea career that she deserved. Um, I, I think probably Emma probably would have put her in, in a game, at least subbed her in or maybe started her, you know, towards the end. But having to rely on her, having to have her step up in big key moments um, of the season in order to keep, you know, trophies coming, in order to keep the, the, them, you know, keep us in position to continue to claim them. Um, I think it's fitting. It's absolutely fitting. And I think it was great that, you know, we ha she had that opportunity and she's had the performances that she had. And I think, you know, her final game at Kings Meadow is a win over Arsenal, a clean sheet and a goal is about as perfect as you could write it. So I'm really happy about that. So um, let's, all right, let's, let's look at what's, what we have to come. Um, unfortunately, and I doubt any Manchester City fans are listening to this, but if you do, if you are, I don't know how y'all deal with Gareth Taylor every single week, like trying to like pull for a city team to get a result. I did it for like a, an hour and a, an hour, maybe <laughs> an hour and a half, maybe um, over the weekend. And I didn't like it. It didn't feel good. It, it, it was no way to live. It was it was problematic. And in the end, I was I was burned for it. So, yes. Um, two minutes in, Haley Ladd scores a goal for Manchester United. And I was like, all right, I, I should just turn this game off. This is getting very annoying. Um, and then, of course, Ellie Roebuck, for halftime, gets a straight red. Just clatters in Nikita Paris. Uh, the defending was awful. Nikita Paris is looking through on goal. She had to come out and make a decision. Doesn't get the ball, gets all the player. Uh, to me, that's a red card. I know afterwards, you know, uh, Garrett Taylor was like, I don't really understand that. But then he said they, they should have had a penalty for something much less severe themselves. And I was like, if you think that's a penalty, then you have to absolutely concede that what Ellie Roebuck did was a penalty. So it was just very confusing. Um, but they ended up scoring and it was 1-1. And I was like, oh, wow, uh, the, the most unlikely of ally is going to happen. And it's going to happen with them being down to 10 men or 10 players and get the goal. And then they let in a goal at stoppage time. 90 plus one, Lucia Garcia gets the ball, is able to, is, is a little bit of a scramble, but gets kind of, gets the ball to cross the line. And that was that. United win two to one. Chelsea had, had it. They were, they were three, four minutes away from lifting another trophy without having to kick another ball. But now it's all up to Reading at the weekend. What were your, did you watch the United game, uh, the, the Manchester Derby? Because I was just like, of course. I actually did, uh, not like with my whole heart. Or, <laughs> Smart. But um, I actually, I I was pleased by the fact that Philippa Angeldahl scored when they scored, yeah. uh, because I was quite shocked to see when I just kept one eye uh, on the game that Ellie Roebuck had been shown the red card. That was the first <laughs> first take from that game and then I thought because this is actually something I've been thinking about a lot lately there are teams with big brands and like big clubs that always are top of the big European leagues if you know what I mean but when the leagues are about to be decided and and we we start to ask the questions about okay is this their year uh, like and and then I think about Manchester United and and also Bayern München actually because you have two clubs here 
that plays in in probably top two best leagues in Europe at the moment. Big brands, uh, great history. Like you know what I mean. But by, by that, I, I'm sure I don't have to explain that further. But then when they have to win games, they seem to be not able to do it. Like Bayern, Bayern München, as an example. Last weekend they played by Leverkusen. And, and if they had gained three points from that game, they would have won the league. And I think Bayern, by Leverkusen was placed eighth or something uh, in Frauen Bundesliga at the moment. So I thought that, okay, but this is this is Bayern Munich, Bayern München, they are going to win this game. And then they played a boring 0-0 draw. So that, that league will also stretch to, to the final round of the season. And then you have a team like Manchester United uh, that I fight, find quite interesting to watch this season because of what I told you just about Bayern München, because I feel that these clubs, they aren't used to winning. They don't know what they need. They do know what it takes to win, if you know what I mean by that, because they do obviously know that you need to win if you're going to win something. But, you know, you need to pull out that that extra, extra uh, performance when it all matters the most. And this is where... <laughs> I, I hate to admit it, but I need to admit it, that United ha- has been doing that at the end of the season. They have been doing that. They never give up. And I'm not... Sh- obviously, I don't know the history or background to everything. But with that being said, I can't see why fans and supporters are so like angry with Mark Skinner uh, when they look at the at the table as it stands for the last round. They're going to play in the Champions League for the first time in the club's history. The women's team have only existed since uh, 2018. I know it's Manchester United, but still, you know what I mean. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how how the dynamics play play out now uh, when the next season starts. Um, and obviously, if Arsenal will take the, the last Champions League spot right in front of the nose on Gareth Taylor and Manchester City. But I do think that all four top teams in the WSL, they are more than capable to compete in the Champions League, if you know what I mean. Uh, I mean, obviously, that that's, if you're going to talk about the WSL like that, then, then it's no doubt that it's it's one of the greatest leagues. Um, if you look at how many teams, uh, when you look at the names in the squads that can compete, but that also like brings a certain demand on what coach you have. Um, so I was quite surprised today that Tom Gary from the Telegraph, like with his article saying that Manchester City is ready to extend Gareth Taylor's contract, because to me that's just weird. They have a world-class squad. They haven't even been able to reach the Champions League's group stage the last two seasons, and now it looks like they will be out of even getting the chance to compete, to play uh, in the Champions League. So, yeah, that's just weird, I think. Yeah, um, from a from a fan perspective, hilarious. 
Um, love to see that. When you see underperforming and mediocrity, you always got to reward that with an extension, a contract extension. So well done uh, to Manchester City. I guess we'll see. Um, but yeah, I think you're. I think you're right about Manchester United. This has been a hell of a season from them. This is not a Manchester United podcast, but I think we have to like recognize, you know, especially our opponents. If they didn't exist, Chelsea would have the title already because they've they've got like, uh, in terms of the table right now, nobody besides United can catch them. Uh, so you have to respect that. And I also think that United, as you mentioned, did have that run where it looked like they were going to drop points. You know, they, it looked like they, you know, our, the Arsenal game was tough. They won that one nil. The Aston Villa game was very tough. That was a 3-2. That game was 2-2 until a 93rd minute uh, winning goal. So like they have had their moments where they have been able to continue to put pressure on Chelsea and take it to the final day. Just that the Chelsea is very familiar with this position. And you tell Chelsea, you need to win your last few games to lift the title. And Chelsea says, okay, cool, no problem. We'll do that. Uh, so this is going to be an interesting one. And actually, this brings me to the game at the weekend because it is against Reading Saturday, I believe. Let me do the math real quick. It's a 3.30 p.m. kickoff, I believe, local time in the U.K., 9.30 a.m. Eastern. Thankfully, it's not a 7.30 a.m. game. Again, I, I don't like those. Uh, but 9.30 is good. Top of the table versus bottom. Reading have done a lot of losing. They've only won three times this season. They've only scored 23 goals, which actually isn't the lowest in the league. That's actually, oh, just kidding. Uh, actually, just kidding. Yes, they have scored. That's actually not the lowest in the league. Leicester has scored the lowest in the league at 14. Um, but there is, because of other results, there is the slight chance that Reading can save themselves if they do the impossible again. They have beat Chelsea at their home ground before. Deanne Rose was a big part of that. She is coming back from injury, played a half hour uh, at the weekend. But there is a chance Brighton and Leicester play each other. If Leicester loses and Reading wins, they will. Leicester will go down. But it's very tight. I don't. A, a draw doesn't do anything for Reading. Like they have to go out and win the game. It sounds like that's a very bad spot to be in for 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 Reading. You don't really want to open yourself up with all the attackers that Chelsea can can have. But I think their tactic will probably be keep the game nil-nil for as long as you can and then choose your moment in like the last 30 minutes or 20 minutes to try and go get a winner um, or utilize your set pieces and try to get a goal that way and then hold on to it if you happen to get a goal. So this, yes, Chelsea should rack up the goals. Just about everybody who's played Reading has racked up the goals. They've conceded 54 uh, this year, but this shouldn't be taken lightly, I would say. You know, you give Chelsea a chance to play at Reading away to lift another trophy to, for the league title, and it feels like that game's done, but... but I think a team fighting for their survival will always have to be taken very seriously. But then again, what we just talked about, the fact that Chelsea knows this. Um, and I'm going to say what I said when we recorded the game ahead of the Arsenal game, that I'm going to be very disappointed if Chelsea doesn't take the ch this chance uh, to like an already very rattled Reading team. That's that's one thing. Also, the fact is that I really like Willie Kirk as a per person. <laughs> I actually, yeah. I, I, I sent him a message the other day telling him that I wished him well for for the end of the season and and I actually I really hope that Leicester will stay up 
which also means that I'm gonna cross my fingers for Reading to keep play uh, the low-level football they have been playing. Um, but I mean, obviously, fighting for for something, even though it's a league title or if it's a survival um, that Reading will have to to do. Anything can happen, and it's an away game, and we all know that. But what I do think is that Chelsea is going to go out on Majeski Stadium and just play like they did against Arsenal in the first half, trying to score as many as possible for fun um, and show everyone why they will win the WSL again. Yeah, I'm hoping so too. I mean, like you said, Reading has not been in great form. Their last, really their last four games, even though they played a tight game versus Everton, they gave up three goals. That was 3-2. Manchester City beat them 4-1. Aston Villa beat them 5-0. Tottenham this past weekend, Spurs of all teams, Spurs, 4-1. Bethany England had a brace, so shout out to Bethany England right there. Um, although that may not have helped us, you know, if that game's a draw or something, maybe maybe Reading wouldn't feel as uh, as intense about having to win this, or maybe they would, math, you know, who knows. Um, but yeah, I, I do think this is, this is, I fully expect Chelsea, because they've been in this situation before, even if they happen to go down, I think they will, you know, they did the same thing last season against United on the final day. It was two to one at halftime. They won that game four to two. So like, I think Chelsea just know how to do these things. No lead, no goal, no slip up, no error is going to feel insurmountable as long as they have time to turn it around. And this team we know can score very quickly <laughs> and score in bunches. So I am expecting it to kind of be a bit of a party. I think after the first Chelsea goal, um, it will relieve a lot of pressure, a lot of nerves, because you don't want to have a situation where you're out there and you know, you, you're, you're struggling to score. Chelsea could technically still win the title if there's a one if if they get a draw. Um, United can level on points with a win, but they'll have to make up a five goal difference. So they'd have to beat their opponent by five five or more. I would say. Um, I don't know what the other tiebreaker is, but yeah, and they play Liverpool away, so Liverpool's been in pretty decent form. So you're kind of expecting Chelsea get any sort of result that's going to be the title to them. But I'm I'm with you. I'm feeling like Chelsea knows what to do in this situation. It is Reading. If it was somebody like Aston Villa, I'd feel a little bit more nervous. Um, but it's not. <laughs> it's Reading. You're, you're not Arsenal. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah, I, I'm yeah, I'm I'm expecting that. So let's go ahead and do it before we get out of here. Um, predictions, scoreline. You can you do it. Go ahead. Oh, you want me to go first? I I will put my hands up for you from now on. <laughs> You know what? I'm going to steal your prediction. Your prediction from the Arsenal game was 4-1, to one, wasn't it? I'm, I'm going to say 4-1. to one. I, I don't know. I, I think Reading probably does get a goal. They might even get the first goal and make things weird. But I think 90 minutes against this Chelsea team, it's very hard to contend with. Uh, and so I'm thinking a couple Sam Kerr goals, probably a Pernilla Harder goal. Lauren James, too. Let's, let's, let, let's have Lauren James score a goal <laughs> on the final day of the season. So, yeah, I'm going 4-1. to one. Okay, I'm going to keep my big scoreline prediction. So I will say 5-0. I love your predictions. I, mean, um, I really want your prediction <laughs> to, to come to, to, to And come uh, ev- everyone is going to score or something. 
<laughs> everyone's gonna score. <laughs> I mean, I would no. feel I would feel bad for Reading, but it would be a hell of a party. I can't remember back. I don't remember what year it was, but I think it was the Chelsea men's team in like the early two, the, like the middle two thousands when they um, they had to beat. I think it was Wigan on the final day, and it was like eight to one or something. <laughs> like they just went bonkers. Uh, I would love that, and I'd, I'd hate it for Reading, but I'd love it for me. Yeah, exactly. So let let's keep it at that. No, I I think that Chelsea will still be in like playing mode, if you know what I mean, uh, and not just football playing mode, but also playing mode. So I'm gonna stick with that. I think as a Chelsea fan, there will be lots of things to be happy about when the clock starts to get closer to. 5.30 CET on Saturday. <laughs> and uh, yes, I was wrong. It was in 2010. It was the 2009-2010 season. And uh, Wigan did not score. It was 8-0. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take one of those, please. Thank you yeah. so much, Chelsea. Um, all right. Time to get out of here. Uh, Mia, thanks again for uh, joining me. Uh, let the people know where they can follow you and your work, please. Yeah, you can follow me on um, on Twitter um, at uh, Mia underscore Eriksson as we say here in Sweden and as Andre is very very good at pronouncing <laughs> gonna say that I try yeah um, yes so thank you so much we will of course do another episode after the Reading game um, hopefully it is a very celebratory episode and we get to recount all eight goals as Chelsea repeats that 2009-2010 performance uh, from the Chelsea men's team. Until then, though, I don't know how many it is. Whatever. Bye. <laughs>